listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. Today, we're talking about the secret sauce of sales enablement, how to make it effective in your organization, how to leverage it effectively as a resource. It's a hot topic today. And to help us with that, we have Paul Bickford. He's the Denver chapter president for the Sales Enablement Society and founder of Transformative Sales Solutions. Excuse me for that. Welcome to the show, Paul. Appreciate you taking the time. Hey, thank you. I really appreciate you having me on the show, Chad. So before we get started, how about a little bit more detail on the audience of how you found yourself in a sales enablement career? A lot of the salespeople that we know don't like, you know, play with fire trucks and say, hey, I want to be a salesperson when I grow up. But curious on the sales enablement side, how did we end up in sales enablement? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, for me, it was uh, just having real passion for sales and I was successful You know, in uh, running a sales office, and then I was a president's club uh, salesman and sales manager, and I got into uh, sales training for an $11 billion company, and I was the national sales training manager for six years, and I learned about adult learning theory and how to drive behavior adoption after training events and kind of cut my teeth there. And then I, I started realizing that to really make things stick and drive return on investment, it was important to make sure that managers were involved and got into leadership development for sales managers and coaching. And then I learned that, hey, we need to make sure salespeople have the right tools. And then we need to make sure that senior leaders are holding sales management accountable and all the different things that have scaled out that have now become sales enablement. So I imagine like, you know, many of my peers realizing that there's a lot more to it, uh, at least for me from the training side where I started to say, hey, there's there are various other things that need to be in play to make um, skills development, performance management effective to drive sales results. And so um, as the sales enablement uh, function is uh, still in its fledgling state as far as an understanding across corporate America about what what does sales enablement really mean? What are all the things that it entails? And um, those of us in the sales enablement society just have a real passion for evolving um, that understanding and really sculpting practices uh, for the function. And so it's something that, um, yeah, I've been doing that for 12 years. If you add in my sales career and sales management career, it's been 20 plus years and it's just been a (laughs) fantastic, uh, you know, journey so far. And I'm just really uh, intrigued and feel very fortunate to be a part of what I'll, I'll call kind of this movement uh, that, that we embrace around sales enablement with the society. Well, and let's talk about that for a second. There's been a huge, I mean, especially uh, those of us that have been in sales in a long time, we've heard this word for a while and it's, and it's meant various different things at various different times. But in the last couple of years, um, it's making its way more and more into the vernacular, the discussions, uh, the sales enablement society is, is accomplishing great things. We had the opportunity to talk to Scott Santucci earlier, uh, end of last year. And, uh, and so I'm curious from your perspective to give the audience kind of a definition of sales enablement as you see it today, kind of let's set the context for the deeper discussion. Yeah, sure. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's like, gosh, where do I begin? But, you know, it's this, I think of it like an umbrella chat that goes over so many different elements. And so um, most people's understanding comes from maybe one of, if I can call them two ends of, of a, a spectrum, if you will, um, 
a lot of people either think it's like just sales training, and that's that's where I cut my teeth with it for sure, or with all the sales enablement technology platforms that have come about to help align sales and marketing and create um, uh, the ability for salespeople to efficiently search for and utilize marketing content. Um, a lot of people think sales enablement is just about marketing because of all of the uh, <laughs> uh, candidly marketing money that these that these technology platforms spend on marketing. In fact, it's it's been I call them the false prophets. Uh, some of them where they spend. There's one in particular who's a really big player in the space that it irks me because they spend so much money on marketing um, that where they say sales enablement is this, and they just talk about their product, and I just feel like it's <laughs> it's actively confusing the space. Um, but you know, everything sales enablement is, and, and you know, I do a lot of talks on this and articles and such, and it's like, it's about, let's start from soup to nuts. I'm going to think of like a sales factory, right? So we have, how are we, um, setting up, bringing in salespeople into an organization from who are we picking? Are we one, are we, are we providing the, um, a high enough compensation for the kinds of people that we want as far as quality? How are we assessing them? So I think of like coming on the assembly lines. Okay. How are we assessing who we would bring into the organization, because um, you can, you can, you know, you hire for talent, you train for skill. So our, we got to make sure we're hiring people with the right competencies. And oh, by the way, are we hiring for our culture? Are they going to be a good fit with a company? There are ways in companies that help do assessments. I help companies with that myself. You know, so it's like, okay, let's make sure we have the right people. And there's ways that you can assess not just who can sell, but who will sell. And that's a, uh, I'm very passionate about the, you know, set of assessments I'm partnered with to help, you know, ensure that. Then when they come in, it's like, okay, now let's train and onboard you. So let's make sure we provide skills training with the opportunity to practice uh, the skills and learning environment. We got to train for selling skills, for product, for um, uh, processes and systems. And I can really go down a rabbit hole with that. It's quality <laughs> training. So I'm going to try to back out of that because that's kind of my, my passion there. So now we go on the assembly line to um, coaching. And oh, by the way, have the managers been trained on leadership and sales management because sales managers are chosen usually because they're top salespeople and they're told, make everybody like you, go forth, go get them. <laughs> and it's a completely different skill set. It's a completely different set of competencies. And, you know, your best sales manager is not necessarily your top performer. Plus, you really can't oblige your efforts because you're taking your top producer off the line. And, you know, uh, as Peter Drucker says, and I'm probably going to botch this a little bit. Uh, people get promoted to their highest level of incompetence or something like that, where um, then if they're not successful, they either have to go back to sales and have egg on their face, or more than likely, a lot of times they'll leave the company and start somewhere else um, so they don't have to go backwards socially or politically. Um, and now we've really you know killed the golden goose, so to speak. So are the managers being selected to be the right sales managers to lead that salesperson on the assembly line, so to speak? Are they being taught how to be leaders and managers? Are they being taught how to coach? what good coaching looks like, and being empowered and held accountable, frankly, with the right coaching tools to drive a performance management cadence with tenured reps and new reps so we have visibility into how people's skills and outputs are progressing and how they're managing through that. And then on the assembly line, we get to product. Are we just teaching salespeople about product and bringing in solutions engineers and product management? Or are we saying, let's just teach them how to sell it and I spend a lot. I have a lot of passion on that because I see that botch all the time with the best <laughs> intentions, where they give them this huge data dump and they're confused or they're like, "Oh, okay." And we always talk about in sales, Chad. Hey, talk about customer business issues. Hey, talk about how what are the impacts of those issues? What are the costs of those issues? And if we could help them with the what would that? And then 
we come in and we give them this data dump on these are all the fields and the software and these are these different you know uh, uh, modules and da 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 da. And so we're indirectly saying, go talk about product, right? So it's, <laughs> right. it's not, as Scott Santucci said, and I'd love to hear uh, more from him about this at our Sales Enablement Society. He said, don't build a value a value selling engine on a product selling chassis. And <laughs> I'm not a car guy, but it really resonated with me. And I was like, yes, this is what this is what I see. And he articulated it so much better and more succinctly than I, than I, than I probably do. Um, but it's like, okay, are we really making sure that we have that? And again, I could go down a rabbit hole with that because I specialize in doing that with companies and setting that up. But then marketing tools, right? So we teach them the skills. I do sales certifications. Let's prove that they know it. Let's prove they can do it um, and get them certified. And then the coaching to make sure they're doing it consistently. Um, and then setting up um, communities of practice. There's some great, great tools out there. Like one I'm a big fan of is, is something called Just Sold It by a company called Radiate Buzz, and it's about capturing informal uh, sales tribal knowledge that will never make its way into marketing content, where salespeople can reach out to those who've closed deals of similar size and similar verticals within um, you know, a recent time frame and say, what did you do? What did you avoid? What did you use to get there? And they can collaborate real-time quickly on a platform um, that salespeople will want to use versus some technology they're being, uh, you know, the where someone's cracking the whip saying you have to fill in this information. And so making sure do they have the right tools, do they have the right tethers between their peers and, 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 and other experts to get the information they need to, to close deals quickly. Um, you know, in sales enablement, you got to look at, um, you know, how are we measuring sales enablement success? Is it time to close deals, win rates, um, increase revenue, profit? That's one thing, you know, I ask, when you do a needs assessment on the front end and say, okay, senior leaders, where are we trying to go? What do we need to change? Most of the time they say, look, we just want more sales, right? <laughs> but, there's, but there's more to it than that. You know, it's like, are we trying to grow sales in a certain space? So in software, it's like, are we trying to do more with a cloud strategy? All right, what does that mean? What do we need people doing to focus on that? Or, hey, are we trying to increase profits or sales? Because if you're trying to increase profits, your strategy, a disciplined strategy, is sometimes you'll give up sales because you want that profit percentage higher. Are we trying to grow sales? And it's okay the profit goes down, then that's a different strategy. We gotta figure out what that is and then include that in uh, what's going on. And I think I don't know that I'll say backtrack other than maybe pull back from my my assembly line analogy of a salesperson factory for a second is being at that senior level meetings, there's a guy named Roderick Jefferson who's a um, sales enablement global leader with um, Marketo, who I like. I kind of follow his stuff and 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 he looks at some of mine and one thing he said last year, I really liked. He said, "If you don't have a seat at the table, you better bring a folding chair." If we're not, a, you know, if we're not aligned in sales enablement at the top of the food chain, then um, we will struggle to be seen as a strategic resource, and it's hard to politically have the, the social capital to be able to come in and say, at first, understand what's going on in those meetings to drive it through with the tactical, but also to have input at those meetings. One thing I was fascinated by at our Sales Enablement Society International Conference in Dallas in October, Heather Cole with Serious Decisions um, in her presentation said that 24%, hear me on this, 24% of sales enablement practitioners are reporting directly, directly to their to the CEOs of their organization. And I thought, wow, that's the kind of thing that we in the society have passion around. And it's not about ego. It's not about, because I get it. So a couple of things. One is, 
you're an individual practitioner, most companies, you're an army of one. There are some companies that have fleshed it out and they have full sales enablement departments with multiple players. But, you know, if you're coming in and you're sitting at, at the table with people that have, you know, uh, a few decades of experience, usually they've got uh, large, you know, P&Ls they're responsible for. They have, um, you know, large organizations underneath them and saying, hey, this sales enablement person needs to be at the table. It's like, well, wait a minute. What's how are they at that level? And it's about understanding it's not about a level. It's about a function. And so just like I was trying to explain to somebody once, just like the CFO doesn't tell the CMO um, that they know about marketing, it's like that's why they're in those meetings to talk about the marketing piece and vice versa. Nobody at that table knows sales enablement like the sales enablement person. So that's all it is, is being the ambassador of that information and making sure as we are asked and as we are supposed to um, influence without authority, as we are supposed to be the conductors while all of these other leaders play the instruments, we have to be able to liaise with and interact with all these people, especially in a way where there's not political um, uh, you know, issue with, well, why are you going to talk to this person? They're three levels above you. Or why didn't you go talk to your boss before you went to, we don't have time for that. And I'm, I don't mean to be, be uh, cavalier about that, but it's like, we, we want to be efficient. We want to be effective. We're supposed to make sure that these silos of marketing and sales and even sometimes like, you know, HR, um, you know, depending on who owns recruiting or if they're involved in the leadership development that, that um, colors some of the sales management development, uh, sales operations with compensation, how are territories being lined up. Uh, that's another piece, structure. Um, you know, I worked for a company once that had 21 salespeople per manager. Well, that's not tenable. So when we talk about sales enablement, you have to coach your people, and here's how to coach. Do we have the right structure to make sure they can do that? That's not tenable. So you have to look at that. If we are looking at, hey, we have to have salespeople hit quota, you know, Jim Dickey, who is I'm a big fan of. He's a member of our Denver chapter. He is a uh, you know, global leader in sales enablement, um, was talking about it at one of our chapter meetings. He said, hey, you know, it's crazy. Uh, the data that's come in for 2017 is that only 58%, I think it's actually 53% of salespeople and sales organizations are hitting quota. Right, and right. so everybody's like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. That's nuts. And I agree. But then the conversation in our meeting started with, well, why aren't they hitting quotas? You know, it was it's down from 60 some percent the year before. And what do we need to do to close the gap? And I completely agree. And I'm part of that discussion. My thought, though, concurrently, where are these quotas coming from? <laughs> Why are we doing that? When I talk to organizations and they say, we haven't hit quota three years in a row, but we keep raising it 10% every year. It's like, based on what, right? And is that the right thing to do? You know, in, in practice, um, I say in theory, but no, in practice, it's supposed to be bottom up, right? What's realistic for that territory? The manager holds the salespeople accountable so they don't sandbag or create a false positive. And then they gather up what they think their team can do. And then they go up to their manager who holds them accountable, make sure they're not sandbagging and say, okay, this is realistic from our area or our vertical or our geography. And they, and that's, and it keeps funneling up until the, the senior leader and even the CEO says, okay, this is what we can deliver. And then puts it out there on the street or to a board, depending on, you know, is it private equity, is it publicly traded, is it privately owned, whatever. Instead, what happens is the board, Wall Street, the investors say, we want this kind of growth. So they say, well, hell, if we have to do that or we want these kind of returns and they say, well, gosh, to do that, then we need to create this 
this much in sales. So then it's top down instead of bottom up. They're like, you better figure this out, man. You better figure out where to get this number. And so everybody's in like crisis management going, oh, man. And I, not necessarily crisis management, but looking at, all right, well, darn it, we got to figure this out. And so it's like, are we trying to fit a square peg in a round hole? Are we trying to, you know, are we using hope as a strategy? Are we trying to, I've seen this actually even somewhat recently um, with one organization where it's like, are we trying to just push the heck out of our people to say, you know, failure is not an option. We got to go get it, blah, blah, blah. But are we, again, sales enablement? Are we empowering people with the right skill set, tool set, mindset to be successful? That's what sales enablement has to do. And uh, we have to cut through the politics or the uh, individual agendas of different groups and people who all mean well, usually, and say, hey, guess what? We're just supposed to help align and execute the things that you're already held accountable for, the things that you're already measured by, the things that are already tethered to your compensation and your career development. And we're just here to make that easier. I always say, I'm not here to add to your inbox with the things I'm going to ask you to do. I'm here to help you with what you're supposed to be doing and trying to do uh, anyway, which is, if I'm talking to a sales leader, uh, develop your people, hit your number. That's it. That I'm just helping you do that quickly, more efficiently. Oh, and by the way, I help uh, you do it, you know, as well. And so, um, I don't know. I mean, that's, those are all the things that are sales enablement. And Scott Santucci was floating something out to me several months ago about another thing that goes under the umbrella, which is, um, the CFO. And I said, what do you mean, Scott? And he said, well, you know, the CFO is the one that is held accountable for the number. They're the ones that, uh, um, you know, help define revenue. How is revenue recognized? How is revenue defined in an organization? You know, it can be different. And I don't have a finance background. I'm a sales guy. You know what I mean? I'm a sales purist and I'm, I'm operationally sound and savvy as far as that goes. But as far as being a, uh, you know, an int- uh, intricate spreadsheet jockey, as far as being a, a finance whiz or guru, that's just not my background. And so, um, but he said, Hey, you know, the CFO, they're the ones that decide what the sales leader's budget is. And usually we stop um, at the sales leader because that's usually who we report to in most organizations is a EVP of sales, a CSO, whatever. And he said, we've got to take it up another notch to the CFO level and help make a case. So when they slice off the budget for sales, they give them a bigger piece. So by saying, hey, here's what we can do for sales. Here's what we want to do with sales. And here's how this is going to help the revenue. Here's how this is going to help you, CFO, with what you're evaluated on and what you're trying to accomplish and selling even there. And so I think part of the thing with the society as we're evolving this function um, is being transparent and humble and vulnerable. So, for example, um, you know, and I, I don't say this with arrogance. I, I do feel like I've, I've got the, the credibility because I've been in the trenches for a long time that I um, consider myself a subject matter expert at sales enablement. And um, I feel like I've borne that out and, and, and uh proven that by the same token, have the humility and the vulnerability to say, hey, you know what? I don't have a finance background. Hey, you know what? I have the humility to go. I don't think, know that I have the credibility and the chops to have a conversation with the CFO about those elements and have credibility. What do I need to learn and be exposed to, to be able to help an organization to have that conversation? And I think that's where um, really the, and I'm going to wax corny for a minute, the, the altruism and this, the, the transparency with the society of people saying, all right, what can we do to help each other? What can we do to help the organizations we serve if we don't have a given background, if we don't have, um, you know, different things? Just like I'm a presence club salespeople. There are a lot of sales enabled people that come out of sales operations or they come out of other areas of the business. And so that's something where 
they look for credibility and understanding to supplement. And so I think all of us are just, Chad, sometimes I use the analogy. I don't know if you ever read this in elementary school, <laughs> but it was, a, it, was a, it was a short story called Stone Soup. And the, have you, are you familiar with it? I am not. Not one I've heard of. So I don't Stone's, think anyway. No, it's okay. So it's kind of a, I say fable, but whatever. It's, I don't know where it originated, but basically it's like there's a village and they don't have very much food and, um, you know, they're not very, it's kind of a poor uh, collective there. And so the family's like, what are we going to have for dinner? And the mother says, we're going to have stone soup. And they're like, what are you talking about? And they put a pot of water down. They put a giant rock in the pot and they say, this is going to be for the village. And so I guess it's a larger pot, a cauldron or something. And so everybody comes around and they're kind of looking like, what's this about? So one person pipes up and says, hey, I've got some carrots I could add to that. And they come over and slice up some carrots. And somebody else says, oh, I've got some mutton, some lamb, you know, uh, lamb meat. And they come over and they drop that in. And somebody else has some uh, seasonings and somebody else has some other vegetables and somebody has mushrooms or whatever. And each person from the village adds just their little tiny bit that they have. Nobody has enough for you know, a full meal, but as they all contribute, they have a, they have a meal that's a stew that's robust enough for all to feast from that everybody contributed to. And I think that's what we're doing in the society. And that's what us as sales enablement practitioners are doing because companies are hungry and they're thinking, well, no, sales enablement is just the carrots or no, it's just the lamb's meat or it's just the, you know, and it's like, no, no, it's all this stuff and it has to be stirred together the right way and cooked at a certain temperature. And we've got companies that with the best of intentions are trying to do sales enablement on the cheap or trying to go in and execute the function with only a, um, a partial understanding of the role. And if I can continue with my, my, my food cooking metaphor here, it's like we want a gourmet dish, but they want to th- take some cheap ingredients and throw them in the microwave for two minutes and eat and say, this tastes like garbage. Sales enablement doesn't work. And it's like, well, no, hold on. You got to do it right first. And so we'd be better off. We would be better off if, People were saying, what is sales enablement? And some are. The challenge, Chad, and you might know this, is people are saying, I don't need to know. I already know. And they don't. Well, that becomes part of the problem, right? They, they think, and this is, I mean, this is why I go back to that, you know, the kind of the question. Like, when, when if you've been in sales for a while, you've heard that terminology. You've heard sales enablement. It meant something different five, six, seven years ago than it's meant the last year and a half, hence why the, the conversation. And I'm curious, when you talk about, you know, you and Scott have talked about getting a seat at the table, or you mentioned someone who said, bring a folding chair. Organizations have struggled. I think I've seen sales professionals and sales groups struggle to get a, let's say, fair and even seat at the table. They, they may be given the folding chair, just sales in general. How do you help companies understand that it's just as important to have that sales enablement effort uh, have a fair and consistent seat at the table and not just a folding chair? No, it's a fair point. I mean, some of it is change management and driving. Like, There's a great book that I, I reference and I've used going into different organizations um, called the first 90 days. And it's just a great, it's pretty iconic in the business literature world of anybody coming in new to any company in any role. Um, so there's some stuff there that I use, but honestly, mostly the first thing I'd say, just like you don't want to pick sales managers based on success in sales. Um, you know, when you hire salespeople, are you paying enough to track quality people? First of all, who's your sales enablement candidate? I was talking to somebody the other day, and I didn't even realize this. They said, you know, that some of the organizations they've seen is a person who wasn't successful in sales, but they like them or feel like they're 
sharp or whatever, they'll say, well, well, go into sales enablement. So, and I'm not even saying not to do that if they can learn to get where they need to get necessarily. But if you're talking about being a seat at a, a seat at the table, do, are you putting the right person in sales enablement, or do you have somebody in charge of that person that's in sales enablement? Because you have to have someone who's got the credibility to be at that table. And if you have someone that maybe is partly there, what 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 can you set up to ensure that they get the right exposure and background to be able to contribute in a meaningful way to those discussions? But I'd even say initially, let's say someone's got to get there, just letting them sit in these meetings and listen and learn and see how decisions are made and see how um, the go-to-market strategies are constructed and see how these departments are liaising and contributing and trying to align at those highest levels. And there's a lot of education just in that, even prior to the contribution of sales enablement, inserting themselves in those discussions. I think the first part is listening you know, seek first to understand and then to be understood if I can steal, you know, Stephen Covey's fifth habit uh, and insert it there. And so, um, but making sure that there's an understanding of how to contribute, how to put it out there. I know one of our chapters, I think it's Seattle. I think it's Seattle, but it might be, um, it might be Atlanta, is focused on those C-level conversations. It's focused on exactly that and how to have those conversations um, my, my deal, Chad, from a strategy standpoint is going into an organization and proving value quickly. I can do an, a return on investment turnaround in as little as 90 days. And when I can show hard numbers tied distinctly and directly to what I do and isolate that from other factors that could also, um, be part of where there are upticks, that really helps. And then asking those questions. So for example, um, I always say, if you want to be strategic, don't um, don't do what you're asked. Question what you're told. And so, <laughs> for example, if a sales leader comes to me and this has happened and says, "Hey, we need we need training on closing the sale. Can you put something together?" The tactical, non-strategic practitioner, with the best of intentions, will say, "Hey, I'm I'm a good corporate citizen. This is what I'm paid to do." They say yes. The sales leader's happy, and they go source content or repurpose content they have. A strategic leader will say, absolutely, I can do that. If it's okay, I'd like to understand a little more about what um, what your needs are. And then, of course, the sales leader will say, yeah, that's fine. And you say, hey, I'm curious, why do you need, uh, why are you looking for training on closing the sale? And they say, well, clearly, we're not closing enough deals. This is a challenge. We've got to get the number. Uh, go back to, you know, cracking the whip on the quotas, maybe. Then uh, you say, okay, that's fine. Hey, I'm curious. Why aren't we closing enough deals? What, what's your research shown? What have, what have your discussions and, and meetings proven out to you? And if they say, well, you know, um, we're just we're losing out to the very specific competitors, and they're beating us on price. And you say, well, why is that? And they say, well, you know, our pricing is fair for what we offer. We have functionality that they don't. And so um, it's just been a struggle with our salespeople to sell against those competitors and justify the value for total cost of ownership for what we sell versus others. And then that's when I would insert and say, okay, well, hey, um, if I hear you correctly, it sounds like I think what you're saying is you need um, training and help on competitive differentiators amongst those competitors you're losing to and also training on overcoming the price objection and selling value. And those things will help close those deals versus training on closing the sale and, and you know ways to kind of wrap up the deal when you're on the back end. Is that is that right or am I am I missing something? So you're still humble, but you are definitely guiding and directing, 
And they say, oh, yeah, no, that's a good point. And you start doing that and you start showing people visibility into things they hadn't thought about or doing root cause analysis instead of hacking away at symptoms. I think about like, are we cutting off branches on a tree? Or are we getting down to the root? You know what I mean? If we're trying to remove something and you start doing that. And instead of people coming out of higher level meetings and telling you what they want you to do because of what they discussed, they start having you sit in on those meetings and they see the value in that. So it can be organic. Um, doing proof of concepts, if you will, where you take, if people are skeptical about the value you can add, or are you being inserting yourself with um, what they're doing at a mid-senior level, take somebody, I, I always can find at least a few people, usually they come to me, of, hey, I see the value in what you're doing, would you mind working with more closely with my team or my vertical? And I say, absolutely, and start doing some deeper level things, some more sophisticated things with a subgroup in, a, in an organization, and they start seeing numbers, and they start um, clamoring about, uh, you know, the success of your efforts and how good you are at helping them and how credible you are with how, what you're doing to contribute. And that ripples out in an organization and helps as well. So sometimes it's an organic strategy. If you're not there, there are ways to get there. I think of Jen Burns out of our DC chapter. She's our, uh, Virginia chapter president in that area. And Scott was telling me that Jen in a period of, I want to say six months, went from reporting to, I think, a salesperson even, and I'm not sure how that worked, um, as a sales enabled practitioner, all the way up to reporting to her CFO and jumping three or four times in the food chain of reporting structure because she continued to add value. Because when she was posited something that she didn't know, she said, let me work on that and would come back to people in the society or in her chapter and say, how do I do this? How do I present this? To the point where Scott told me her CFO one time said, what is this cult you're a part of? Who is this group you keep going to and coming back with? You know what I mean? And it's like that's exciting to us in the society because, again, it's about evolving the function. It's ultimately what I always say. This is about adding value to um, the companies we support, the function overall um, of the sales enablement, and ultimately to the sales enablement practitioners, their careers, um, and their personal development. And so it's just exciting for me to be a part of this. Again, I don't say it lightly. It really is a movement um, in the function to help people understand because there's data, we have data now that shows if you support a sales enablement function, if you give them that strategic insight and input, if you fund the efforts and allow them to do what they do, what we do, um, the average uptick is a 10% um, difference in performance than those that don't. And so, and there's lots of other stats that support, you know, the revenue. So it's really easy to make that case. That's the other thing about being strategic. Um, as you were asking, Chad, how does somebody get a seat at the table? Um, you don't have to come in. So again, if you're if you're intimidated, or if, if they want you to be intimidated, that you're going in with these senior leaders and you're the sales enable practitioner, and it's like, you know, not that they maybe would say this, but why would you need to be in these meetings with us at this level? And you just come again and saying, hey, look, here's the data. Right, I'm Switzerland. This is what the data shows. This is what I'm hired to do. The data shows companies that have somebody at a strategic level that funded accordingly, that allows someone to be um, a, a someone to build bridges between the silos of the different functions in the organization. We get this increase in revenue, this increase in, in win rate percentage, um, this increase in performance, this increase. Do we want that? We want that, right? And they go, well, of course. It's like, okay, well, this is why we should do it. Best in class companies do X. Wouldn't we want to do X? This is what X would look like. Here's what you would do in your part of Plan X. Here's what you would do. Here's how I would help. This is how we hold ourselves accountable. This is how we measure. Do you feel good about that? And so it's not coming from a place of ego or opinion. We've got facts. We've got data. I'm just here to 
execute and be the ambassador of this methodology, of this structure and this framework that's proven, proven to bear out results. And, um, you know, when it comes to ham and eggs, the chicken's involved, but the pig is committed, <laughs> right? So if companies are going to futz around, the companies that find that their challenge with sales enablement is seeing it strategic or seeing the value is a lot of times they're the, they're the chicken and they're saying, yeah, well, we pay for somebody to be in sales enablement, but we tell them only do sales training. Or, yeah, we have sales enablement, but the, the, the compensation is, I've seen this a lot, is so low, they're not willing to pay. And so they bring in people that, you know, they can get for what they're charging, what they're paying. And so they're not getting somebody that is a quality person to, to be able to provide those deliverables. And that's been somewhat cannibalizing because, you know, I was talking to somebody in HR with a company and they said, well, external data, as uh, HR companies look at compensation, they look at what's the data in the market. What are people paying sales enabled practitioners? So then that's what we put out to pay. But it's because so many companies don't get it because the function is still so fledgling, then it's creating this false positive of that's what you should pay. But Tamara Shank put out a great article a couple months ago about here's what sales enablement practitioners should be making based on the scale of the organization, the amount of their responsibilities. And any, you know, for example, any business that's a billion dollars and over should be paying. Um, on average, or might even be the minimum. Yeah, I think the minimum is 150,000 K base for um, a company of that size, and uh, or more. And and so, a lot of companies aren't doing that just because they haven't previously. And so again, just like for salespeople, we're paying the right, you know, to get the right salespeople. We're paying to get the right managers. <laughs> well, you we're get what you pay for. The right practitioners, right? You, yeah, you and, get and what so you pay it's just for. continuing that. Is continuing that movement. So, okay, so I want to be uh, careful on time here. So, we've talked a lot about uh, the executive side of it, how you get the seat at the table, what is sales name, the power it brings to it. If you had to give if you had sales professionals that were coming into contact with sales enablement for the first time, what would you tell them so that they they themselves, as those armies of one, as you referenced, actually get more value out of it in the trenches? Okay, so let me make sure I understand your question. What would I tell um, uh, salespeople about the best ways to work? Yeah, so if you were talking to individual contributors and they're like, what the hell is a sales enablement function and how do I interact with it? How should a, how should a sales professional view and interact with that sales enablement function in order to get uh, the most value, the most return for their own efforts out of it, right? So, and we'll just take the training piece as an example. There's always, anytime you do training, any client I've ever done training with, there's somebody in that room. And honestly, when I first got trained, it was me. There's some dude in the back of the room going, why the hell am I in here? This is a waste of my time. And so we talk about willing student. You have to be a willing student. Take one step towards me, I'll take two towards you kind of thing. But if you had to help salespeople understand, here's what this fun, you know, we, we just talked about kind of what the function is. How best should they view it and approach it and interact with it to, to get greater results? Yeah, it's a fair point. It's funny you say that because, um, yeah, that's one thing that uh, I've learned to, to become good at when, you, yeah, you've got people in there where it's like, one, why am I taking part in this training because I'm good at what I do? I mean, not if you're dealing usually with new hires, um, you know, certainly if they're new hires in a uh, entry-level role. But, um, but yeah, it's like you're taking me away from selling. Why do I need this? I've been doing this for a long time. And, by the way, who the heck are you <laughs> to be telling me how to do this? I don't know you, you know, if that's the case. And so I learned very quickly I can take a group and within an hour um, have people turned around and um, – 
buying in and saying, okay, this is different. Um, so I think for salespeople, we can say, hey, be open, realize that this works or whatever. But honestly, it's, that's I really put that on the sales enablement practitioner um, to make sure they set up these initiatives and guidance and whatever to uh, make sure the salespeople see it. It's up for us to drive it more so so they see the value um, in uh, doing these things and uh, again, proving out, bearing out these things are successful. And I think that Jeffrey Gittimer, who is you know one of the sales gurus, said in uh, one of the programs that I took with him, where he said, "Hey, is somebody a, a twenty-year salesperson, or are they a one-year salesperson twenty times?" And he, used, <laughs> you know, he used an extreme example of he's like, "Yeah, somebody sit there and they you know get all cocky, like yeah, I've been in sales twenty years." He's like, "But they had problems paying their car payment last month." It's like you know, get a clue here. Um, and I wouldn't be that, you know, you know, brash. And I don't think he was saying he would be bra- that brash to the individual. But it's like, again, it's about what are your results? Don't tell me how long you've been in your tenure in the role. What have your successes been? What is your current level of success? And quite frankly, the other piece is sharing with people how, um, hey, it's a whole lot easier to take somebody who's already doing well and getting them to do better. When I'm in front of a group, one of the things I say is, hey, people pay thousands of dollars for executive coaches. You know, I, I practice what I preach. I'm a coach. And uh, sales and leadership coach, and I pay coaches myself, right? Because I believe in what I do and take advantage of that framework as well. I said, people pay a lot of money for coaches. I said, you're getting that for free. Um, I said, I'm getting paid. The company's paying me to get you in front of me so you can make more money for your family and for your goals. Right. If you're making $200,000 a year, that's great. They're paying me to try to get you to 250 or 300. Why would you fight that? And so these are that's just one of the things I do to really change that paradigm and start to get people looking at this more as a value add for them versus a um, uh, you know a set of events or or tasks that they that they're being told they have to complete or take part in. Um, and so you know and then also utilizing them if somebody is really tenured, uh, setting up the kind of training where they can contribute and share what they've done and and help their peers and um, practice some things in front of in front of others to show what good looks like. And that's a great way to get buy-in too, because they see that um, their success is recognized, their skill is recognized, and we're kind of holding that up, lauding that, and helping to try to scale that out amongst others uh, in the group. And that makes them usually feel good as well um, as being kind of a thought leader within their peer group. Excellent. Well, Paul, if a listener is interested in talking more about the topics we touched on today, learning more about what you can do for their organizations, what's the best way to get in contact with you? Um, you can check out uh, transformativesalessolutions.com. Uh, really the best way, just go to LinkedIn. I've got 85-plus uh, recommendations. I've got videography of my work and speaking at conferences and uh, some of these different things that people want to vet me there as well. Um, but just to reach out and uh, – you know, I can share with them how I've, I've done this with organizations. And I've got my latest initiative. I have salespeople doing over 200% of quota um, with, with, you know, putting some of these things in place that we've talked about today. So uh, happy to help or at least have the conversation with anybody who's interested. Excellent. Well, I can't thank you enough uh, for taking the time to be on the show. It's been great. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me, Chad. I look forward to uh, staying in touch and continue to work together in the future. All right, everyone. That does it for this episode. Please check us out at b2brevexec.com. Share the episode with friends, families, coworkers. Leave us a review on iTunes, please. We do pay attention to that. And until next time, we at Value Prime Solutions wish you all nothing but the greatest success. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening.
Until next time.